from Chicago, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. What's up, everyone? My name is Raj Nation, founder and chief pitch artist at Startup Hype Man, where we help startups, scale-ups, and grown-ups not suck at how they pitch themselves so they stand out to their audience and stand apart from the competition. This podcast is all about bringing you the hearts, the minds, and the stories of leaders in the startup ecosystem talking through the strategies they have deployed in order to build and grow their companies. And it's officially season 17 of the show, and all season long we've got a special treat for you, bringing you guests exclusively from the Startup Hype Man client portfolio, giving you a piece of their journey. Before we begin, if you're not a subscriber yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. And remember, you can catch all the episodes from our 17 season archive and learn how to pitch your startup at StartupHypeMan.com. All right, get your popcorn ready and get hyped because it's go time. Ladies and gentlemen, making her way to the microphone from Marshall, Michigan and currently residing in the Bay Area of California. She is the co-founder and COO of The Peak Beyond. Please welcome Jen Dye. Welcome, Jen. Appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, Like I mentioned, Jen's co-founder of The Peak Beyond. What is The Peak Beyond? Well, here's the deal. Cannabis consumption is becoming a cornerstone of modern American society with dispensaries as the industry's poster child. And as each new retail license gets issued, it only makes the competition more fierce. So what you have is essentially so many options available for shoppers and every dispensary has two questions at hand. And that's how do I get customers into my store and how do I keep them coming back? And that's where the peak beyond comes in. That's where the peak beyond comes in, powering unforgettable shopping experiences. See, traditional shops will put their products in glass cases and maybe have an iPad nearby for support. Peak Beyond shops, on the other hand, are digital first, replacing the glass case with interactive stations that can recognize who the shopper is, where they came from, what they like, and then educates them towards a purchase decision. And so, as a, from the shopper's perspective, when you feel like the store really gets you. You then want to go out of your way to keep coming back to that specific store. So Peepion is doing big things in the booming cannabis industry. In the past, they've been able to raise $720,000, and they've been able to scale the company to nearly a million dollars in annual recurring revenue, and that's with no sales team. Now, all this season on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we're talking exclusively with guests out of our client portfolio, and we've had the honor and opportunity to work with Jen and her team at The Peak Beyond uh, in the past And I'm excited to talk with Jen today specifically on that note of how they've been able to scale their sales up with no no, hired sales team or anything like that. And that's because what they've been able to do is establish a partner sales ecosystem. And that is our topic for today, establishing a partner sales ecosystem. Jen, once again, welcome to the show. Tell me, why is that on your mind? Why is this important to you? Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, right now, um, I'm hyper-focused on growing this business and raising capital. So um, it's really important to be efficient. And um, in addition to that, I really believe in collaboration um, as a business strategy. So um, cultivating relationships with partners that build robust ecosystems is something that's not just a great opportunity, but I think a smart business and also, you know, creates um, a productive environment where nobody has to go it alone. 
And um, in addition to that, it's just, you know, fun to have partners and work together with people in the industry that um, get what you're doing and you get what they're doing. We're going to dive a whole lot more into Peak Beyond's growth strategy around this partner sales ecosystem, which really is a path that, you know, I think more companies should explore and not enough do because it can be highly valuable on all sides. Before we get into all that, let's learn a little bit more about uh, Jen, the person. So Jen, um, something that we share in common is that actually we are both yoga instructors. Now, I'm curious to know from you, um, what do you feel like a life practicing yoga and then even teaching yoga has taught you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh, equanimity. Hmm. I think that um, through my practice in yoga and through teaching yoga, I've been able to um, work on fostering a sense of equanimity so that I can walk through life and go through business without being shaken and stirred up among all the chaos that is entrepreneurial life. Um, <laughs> so there's, I think there's no that, shortage of that. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, it's not just equanimity, but really being able to stretch and go into places that are uncomfortable um, and, you know, explore growth. And I think, you know, a big part of what we're talking about today is, you know, how, how to grow and stretch and yeah. through my yoga practice and teaching that is really something I carry through in my life. Understanding that, how do you feel that plays into your own business mantra of know who you are and know what you stand for? Yeah, I think, um, you know, authenticity and transparency is really important in business and, you know, staying on track and focused on what your goals and priority are um, is also, you know, part of the value of that. Mm-hmm. Now, Peak Beyond itself, as we mentioned before, operates in the cannabis retail space. How does one get into working in the cannabis industry in the first place? Um, well, that's a good question. How does one or how did I? <laughs> well, I guess I guess the one in this case is you, <laughs> the royal one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was an early stage business consultant for many, many years and living in, in the San Francisco Bay area as cannabis was becoming legal. Um, it felt, you know, it's just something I was interested in as a business person. Um, but as I started digging into it and exploring my relationship to cannabis, it's, that was different from smoking pot as a young person mm-hmm. or young adult um, and really building a relationship to cannabis and parallel with that becoming a, you know, a business was something that, was interesting to me. So I just started building a network and exploring more following the laws and regulations that were coming on in California and in you know other states. And I actually got into this business because I was an early stage investor mm-hmm. and um, stuck around because I love the company so much. Can you talk a little bit more about, you mentioned like the, the difference between your relationship now with cannabis versus just being a young person smoking pot. Like if you were kind of to like to define or capture that difference, how, how would you do that? Yeah. I think when I was a young adult smoking pot, I was, it, you know, I was just 
you know, smoking, whatever I could get my hands on going to concerts, um, you know, it was more of a lifestyle and that, that change to consuming cannabis was really an exploration and an education process, not just about the plant and where it came from, but also how it relates to my body and, uh, what the difference, how the different strains how my body responds to the different strains and really understanding the difference between recreational use and medicinal use and being conscious about the intention of how I'm using cannabis. And Mm. that for me is the distinguishing part of how it relates, how my system responds to the cannabis and what my intention is. And I think back to the yoga thing, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. No, that's great. That's great. So I, and I think that's a, that's a great jump off point now into just diving a little bit more into peak beyond. And I think, uh, you know, I, I gave the introduction, I gave the elevator pitch of peak beyond. Um, I think what would be really helpful in addition to what the listeners heard at the beginning of this episode about peak beyond is maybe could you just expand on how someone would in fact interact with a peak beyond station at a store and how, like, like what is that process of being on the customer side and then mm-hmm. conversely, what is the process like being on the, the, the retailer side to, to create that yeah. for the customer? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. So imagine walking into a cannabis dispensary and all of the products or product representations are out in the store on shelves. And so a customer walks into the store, can easily scan the store for the category that they want to shop in. And so they can walk up to a shelf, pick up a product representation, place it near the screen, and then the screen populates with all the information about that product. So if it's a flower jar or if it's a package, um, they are actually looking and touching the physical product um, and the screen populates and and indicates um, what the ingredients are, what the use cases are, what sort of ailments it will support. Um, you can also search for other products like that, other products in that category. And because we're connecting to the point of sales service providers, um, all of the inventory is live syncing. So customers can push to cart and start building orders around the store. So we start giving customers education at the point of sale so they can make better, more empowering purchasing decisions and start, um, I don't know, kind of building their database of kind of what I was talking about, what, what cannabis do you want to consume and for what reason and what works for you and what doesn't work for you. So direct to consumer education is really important to our company. And that's what, that's what these stations provide as well as interactivity. So we know that when customers physically interact with products, they're more likely to buy them and they, ha- they have an opportunity to respond and react and build loyalty to the brand um, because they're interacting with the packaging. On the retailer side, then I imagine this customer, this knowledge of your customer would only make you more successful as a store, yeah? Yeah. So we collect anonymous consumer user behavioral data which typically doesn't exist in brick and mortar stores and especially in cannabis. So if you think about the the data points that you receive, if you have an e-commerce 
um, shopping platform, we're able to collect similar data in store. And um, also when you, we have an e-commerce part to our platform, it's an omni-channel solution. So when you plug all of these um, shopping touch points together, you start seeing a very robust data set about customers and how they're shopping, not just in the store, but e-commerce. And when you, you look at that together, geographically, demographically, it starts to get really powerful. And retailers and brands are then able to make decisions about uh, product placement, um, what kind of educational uh, articles they want to put on our platform, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, especially given how many new dispensaries are popping up, um, there's got to be some point of differentiation besides like location, right? And, and I do think this, since this is a still, no pun intended, a budding industry, um, <laughs> uh, I do think there's still room for people to not just go to what happens to be closest to them, but a go to where they feel like they maybe have a relationship with the people there or, or a better relationship with the overall experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we, we're seeing that now in retail outside of cannabis and, you know, the, the retail trends are showing that the reason consumers go into brick and mortar stores is for the experience. Mm -hmm. And that's an experience with the bartender or most likely a customer experience that keeps them coming back yeah. and builds loyalty to that location. So you're absolutely right. So that level of differentiation is also future proof. And you really do. I mean, I can't underscore enough how important the if someone's going to come into the store, how just a transaction is not enough. Yeah, you know, this was like a few months back. I was at Best Buy trying mm -hmm. to buy a single video game, and it took them like it took me five minutes to find someone because I couldn't find it on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And then that person had to find someone else who might know the answer. That person then said, "Let me check in the back." Someone else came and said, oh, someone's checking for you. We'll get it. I literally stood there for 20 minutes and no one ever got back to me. In that time, while standing in Best Buy, I pulled out my phone and ordered on Amazon. Like, Absolutely. can you talk yeah. like, I don't think there's ever a better example of losing the value of a, a customer literally being in your store and then buying from someone else when you had the opportunity to capture them because the experience was just that poor. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So- so let's um, let's talk about how you've been able to grow Peak Beyond now, and specifically, you know, our main topic again today is establishing a partner sales ecosystem. How do you, let's start here though? How how do you define partnership selling or partner sales in the first place? Yeah, I define partnership selling as a collaboration between two companies that share their resource and customer base to make a sale hmm. to sell their product. So with that understanding, like who, who's an ideal partner for the peak beyond, whether you, you, know, you want to name specific partners you have or just talk about types of companies that make, yeah. make a good partnership? Yeah. Anyone that understands our product. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and that's kind of true um, because we do, we do bring on referral partners and I meet people in the industry all the time when I'm out networking that are, that get super jazzed about our product because they like tech, because they like innovation and they're out talking to a lot of people. 
So we do sign on referral partners in that sense. Um, but going further than that, it's design and build teams, point of sale service providers, uh, merchandising specialists, um, people that are, if you imagine all of the components that it takes to put together a retail space, um, no one component can exist in a silo. So all of those, everyone that's coming together to, to bring that environment to life is a potential partner, selling partner for us. So I think then someone who gets it, like kind of almost inherently is a good mm-hmm. starting point for a partnership. Mm-hmm. What are yeah. some other characteristics then that you say, oh, this would be a viable partner? Yeah, I mean, for me, um, it comes down to collaboration, communication, transparency, and it's really easy to meet a company or to meet the you know leaders of a company and know right away how they do business. Mm. And if they're open, collaborative, and you know engaging, um, that that's an open door. If they're doing all their business deals on a golf course, um, in, you know, behind closed doors, um, in a place where not everyone goes, I find those companies a little bit harder to build partnerships with, but, um, you know, someone that, um, also has experience and a network in, a part of the, the selling cycle that we don't always have access to or kind of opening the, the, the net. Um, so if you think about a design and build team or a POS system and our company, we're all meeting people in the early stages before a retail store launches. Mm. So if we're all working together to start building this stack, then we can in the course of our early on in our sales cycle, you know, inquire if they're working, what POS system they're working with, um, if they've thought about, um, you know, using one of our partners or, you know, offering an introduction. Okay. So if I heard that right, it sounds like a very key characteristic is in having a good partnership would be that both of your products or offerings exist within the same or similar purchasing window for the end customer? Yes. Okay. So, and you mentioned design and build teams and POS systems. So at roughly the same time or within the same window, for example, if a retail store is going up, they're figuring out what their POS system is going to be. They're going to figure out what their interior system is going to be. Interior design is going to be around the same time. They don't wait for the POS until after the store is built or they don't, you know, they don't, they don't open the store without having a POS. Right. So these are all like pre-build types of companies. Exactly. Yes. Now um, you mentioned as well that, you know, if they're doing business behind closed doors, it's probably not going to make a good partnership. I think what we've identified so far, some of like the, let's call them not to reuse the same word, let's call them like the identifiable characteristics. Like, Oh, do you Mm -hmm. sell during the same time frame, et cetera. I feel like there's got to be an element of like sussing out though, who would be a good partner versus bad. So you mentioned, you know, Hey, if we, if we don't even know how they do business, that's not a good sign, but are there other maybe like red flags that come up for you um, where maybe you'll entertain the conversation, but then during the conversation, you're starting to think, ah, I don't know if this is going to 
if this is who we want to be aligning with for, for any number of reasons, but are there any red flags? Yeah, I think the red flags are, you know, we, we, we have, we've actually, I've only encountered one, one business that, you know, we didn't want to partner with. And that was because there was a sort of greediness and opportunistic quality to the way they wanted to partner. And it wasn't, it, it didn't seem like a, uh, a true mutual collaboration where it felt a little bit more like an open and grab all the time. And we, and we just felt like we were always kind of navigating that. The other, the other thing that, that could happen early on is if a tricky situation comes up, which almost always happens, um, timeline, uh, you know, something goes wrong at installation, or there's just like miscommunication with a client, things, these things kind of can come up that create sticky situations and partners that are unable to work through that, I think are a red flag. Hmm. So So, that that actually, go ahead. No, finish your thought there. No, I was done. So that actually, um, plays into the next two questions that I have. Mm -hmm. One of them is, Earlier, you mentioned like, you know, if we find out that they're looking for a POS system, we can, and, you know, we can introduce our partner for that, you know, in that conversation or, or right after that conversation. Are you, so on that note, are you intentionally like seeding questions to uncover that information? And are your partners doing the same to say like, what does your retail display look like? So that way they know if an introduction is going to be made or if they can sell on your behalf. Yes. Mm-hmm. And is it as clear as that then? Like just asking like, what's your POS system? <laughs> we don't, we, our product in doesn't exist. Oh, it does exist. Actually, our product adds more value to the customer if it's integrated with the POS system. So mm. during our even qualifying questions, um, qualifying a sales lead, we're asking what PO system do you use? Um, what PO system are you planning to use? Um, what stage of design and build are you in? Do you have a design and build partner? So those are in the outgoing lead qualification questions before our our prospect even gets on a demo call or discovery yeah. call. Um, so that sort of steers it in a way. And just to be clear, we have several partners in all of these areas. So we part of what we do is identify um, if we're making, making the referral out, we identify what the best fit is based on um, adding what the best value would be for the customer. Hmm. And then sometimes we give direct referrals and sometimes we give a list. Are you ever just pulling them into a conversation like that you're at, like you're on the call with your end customer and you schedule a next call with the, the point of sale company, but you come onto that call as well. Occasionally. Yes. Okay. And is mm-hmm. that a, is that just more for end customer comfort or is it value add to you to be part of that as well? Um, in certain situations, it's value add, especially if there is like custom development, if mm-hmm. we're talking about custom development. Um, but if it's a straight referral, then, you know, it's not, it doesn't really, add value to the the deal and it can you know be more time consuming 
I mean, the goal of these, you know, part this partnership selling is to get really clear about how the partnership works, um, what the value add is, and let everyone kind of run in their lane. And and we know during our points of intersection how to handle that um, on the on the backside so that we're working together with a seamless front with a customer. And, you know, we had a referral come in from one of our design and build partners um, just last week, and they sent over the designs for the dispensary that's going to be in Michigan, which I'm kind of proud of because of my own state. And um, there were things in the rendering that didn't, um, didn't have the right kind of usability for our product. So we're like, hey, before we hop on this call with our customer, we need to kind of backtrack a little bit and go through these designs that you created so we can all prevent, prevent miscommunication and come forward with a unified front. Now, one of the things you mentioned a minute or so ago that I said I had a second question on was okay. the, the point that you mentioned around like, you know, sometimes a bad partner may like get a little bit too greedy in a certain situation. And I want to, I want to follow up with that question in just a moment, but before I do mm-hmm. want to take a step back and talk to our listeners for a moment. So peak beyond is all about knowing your customers. So listeners on that note, how many of you hate Google analytics, but quite a few of you are raising your hands right now. I know I'm not a huge fan because understanding where and why I lose site visitors before they convert is just hard. And with Google Analytics, there's always some integration issue, or I have to sort through a mountain of data just to figure out what's causing leads to drop off. It is not a dream. It is more like a nightmare. That's why I was excited to learn of a better way to measure website analytics. And that better way is Oribe. Oribe is a unique marketing analytics tool that captures all the events visitors perform on your website without using code. And that's the kicker, right? No code, no needing to learn SQL or Java or CSS or anything like that. Just, you just kind of drag and drop and, and put the script on your site. Oribe enables you to analyze visitor behavior patterns, build smart funnels, and get tons of insights so you always know what your next step is. When you know what your next step is, that means you're able to understand your visitors. When you can understand your visitors, you know what to change in order to convert them more and convert them better. So no more blind spots on your website. To start your free trial, visit oribi.io slash today. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O slash today. And as a partner of the show, you can use the coupon code HYPEMAN, H-Y-P-M-A-N, all one word, and get 20% off any plan. That's oribi.io slash today, and use the coupon code HYPEMAN for 20% off of any plan. Today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, I'm here with Jen Dye, co-founder and COO of The Peak Beyond, and we're talking about establishing a partner sales ecosystem. Now, Jen, before the break there, I mentioned um, you know, the, my follow-up question around you know, the potential of like a greedy partner. And, and, and I think it's an interesting that you brought up, it's interesting that you brought up that point because I feel like for a lot of salespeople, the natural mindset that one has is well, these cu- the customer I'm talking to has a limited budget, and I got to make sure that whatever money they have, they spend our way, and they don't, you know, they don't, I don't lose any of that spend to some other thing that they could be spending on, um, whether it's in the same category or in another category entirely. So, I guess then, in a successful partnership, how are you tempering that notion of collaboration versus competition, and I guess maybe even having an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset. Yeah, I think that's that's just it. Is um, we we do have an abundance mindset. I 
I personally feel like collaboration is winning. And so I think part of it is just like not getting caught up on, on losing business, but there's no way to prevent it. Uh, I think it, it, it boils down to how you respond and there, you know, it's, it's a huge, you know, there's, there's market share there to be had and I don't, there's no way to prevent it, but the way that most of our partnerships are set up is we're, we're really not taking business away from each other. And I think when, when we set out to build the infrastructure of how our partnerships work and what our workflow is, then it leaves less room to, you know, how, for thing, you know, for things to kind of fall off the wagon. Yeah. Um, we, we do meet some POS systems that are unwilling to um, integrate with us because they're concerned about competition. And typically our customers um, drive that integration to happen. So two times in the past year, our customers have asked for an integration with the POS system. The POS system said, no, they're a competitor. They're like, no, we're not a competitor. Mm. And um, the customer went back and said, we're going to use the Peak Beyond. If you want us to use you, you need to integrate with them. Oh, um, okay, very nice. Yeah, so there's no way to prevent it. Um, and I think I just want to take the opportunity to say that when we look out into the world, nothing exists on its own. <laughs> you know, it takes, you know, for a plant to grow, it takes a whole system of things working together. And that I think the inspiration of that, when you think about partnerships and partnership selling and collaboration really goes a long way in business and, you know, nurturing and cultivating those relationships. That said, are there any hard lessons you've learned along the way in trying to figure out how to make this partnership stuff work and work well for all parties? Yeah, I feel like every day in business, there are a multitude of hard lessons. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can't think of one right now, but, you know, there definitely has been when, you know, something you know, is built and the quality of it isn't, you know, quite on brand or the aesthetics of it doesn't seem to fit, you know, the aesthetics of our brand, which, you know, is, you know, aesthetically pleasing and, and, you know, artistic or, you know, basically, you know, fits the brand of the, of the retailer. So that, that sort of disappointment has happened. Um, We've also, you know, had partnerships where, you know, the contract early on wasn't, was sort of loose. So it was, it was loose. And oftentimes these kind of partnerships and collaborations start loosely because we're like, let's get going and see how this works. We'll get a couple under our, under our belt. And then, you know, we start streamlining and, you know, figuring out the best way forward. Well, things start to snowball. Business takes off you know, things are going, we're doing what we set out to do. And then you're six to eight months down, down the road. And there's a contract issue that came up that, you know, you know, kind of, you know, throws a wrench in things. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that kind of then speaks to like, when you look at what's going to make a good partnership is, 
are things written down? (laughs) And and are they willing to write things down too? Not just are they written down, but are they willing to like, and yes, things can move fast, but are they going to uphold their word in this process? And I think as well to your, to your other part of that story, it sounds like you're also aside from like from product itself. And is it, you know, is it an ancillary product within the ecosystem or within the purchase window? sounds like you're also trying to prioritize will, will their brand be a positive reflection on our brand, not just as the product work or not, but does do the brands align with each other? Yeah. 1000%. Always. What like, are you, keeping track of all the partners and where the sales are coming in and all that stuff. Like, and is that, is that a spreadsheet or using software? How, how high or low tech is that tracking? Yeah. It's part of our sales tracking system. Okay. So we, you know, we track, we know where all of our sales came from, come from. Um, and we didn't always do partnership selling. And this is something that emerged through, you know, through our growth of the company and, it, as it emerged, we started tracking it and seeing how powerful it was or is. So we, we do track that in our, in our database. We know who our highest selling partners are. And, you know, that, you know, allows us to make decisions about what we're focusing on and, you know, where, where we put energy. And then within that, tracking and once you've got this stuff established are you um are you ever having almost like check-in meetings with a partner to assess the state of your partnership is it working well does anything need to be changed things like that yeah so that's something that's been coming up for us recently is you know figuring out how to do that while everybody's so busy and i i think the answer to that right now is we're doing it as we go along. And most of my partners are our partners. I can pick up the phone and call any of them and they'll answer or I can text them. And we course correct as we go along. Um, we decide what needs to be course corrected and then you know work with our relevant teams to make things happen. And I see that happening more than formal check-ins. Although we are, my business partner and I right now are working on establishing a workflow that will kind of have these in place. There is one design and build company that we partner that we have in the Midwest where we are, we have a couple of, I don't know, we have about eight stores launching with them in the next eight months. So we are establishing regular huddles with them and just call them a huddle, um, but not so much about the partnership. Those are just happening in real time. So then uh, my last question here before we begin our wrap up, um, are you, do you have a certain time period where you're, de- you're determining if this is working or not, or does it just kind of like, if it's not working, is it just like almost like petering out and it still maybe exists as a partnership, but there was no ever like end resolution, but it's not, but nothing's really being done. How, like, or, or do you have like a, Hey, we thought this was going to work. Clearly it's not working. Let's go our separate ways. Is there a breakup point for any of this? All of the above happens. Okay. So, <laughs> so some, some partners, you know, it's a more dynamic relationship. Things are happening and it's maybe, you know, some partners are happening on a bigger scale. 
Then we have other partners where things just like trickle in. And then we have some partners where it's just like, hell no, we're done. Mm-hmm. And the, the hell no, we're done is typically very clear. Um, but I like to have closure. So I think, you know, being clear about that closure is really important. Um, but there's this space in between of super dynamic, high performing and, you know, like the no, we're done. And I think that is like the, the growing ground or like the nursery. And I believe firmly in never like throwing away a relationship or giving up on someone because things come back around. And when you continue to nurture these relationships, even though they're not delivering, um, then it, it can come around in a really surprising way. So, you know, for example, we have a, you know, referral partner in another state that we've had, you know, a couple referrals through. Now we're going to work with him in another capacity and through working with him in another path capacity and in, in marketing and branding, it's going to give the, him and his team an opportunity to really understand our company more. And then, you know, there's this, this kind of evolution that happens in a time that's right. So it's also about timing for, mm-hmm. for some of these, um, you know, less, less dynamic partnerships. Not throwing the relationship away. I feel like speaks back to that uh, temperament around equanimity that you have. Yeah. Right. <laughs> to wrap up, where can our listeners find you and learn more? Our website is thepeakbeyond.com. So I encourage people to go there, check it out. Um, you can reach out to us through there, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Perfect. Now, who is one, you know, you're not allowed to say team in this response. Who is one person who you want to give a shout out to? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I think right now in this moment, I want to give a shout out to my mom. Nice. Tell me, wait, yep. and, and why mom? And this, this will <laughs> I, air a little bit, I guess, a few weeks before Mother's Day. So, okay. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think that I'm an entrepreneur and my approach to business has a lot to do with the way that I was raised and the support and encouragement that I had from my mom to be genuine and authentic and, um, you know, to not, you know, to not ride, you know, to push my limits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's just an, an amazing support for me. Now, uh, we'll do our wrap up now, which is we'll each give our top one or two lessons or takeaways based on the discussion today. I'll go first and I'll toss it to you. Our topic today was establishing a partner sales ecosystem. Um, I think a lot of uh, what you mentioned is particularly around like this idea of like the abundance mindset and that there's not, you know, it doesn't have to just be a limited budget. Everything works together. Um there's a saying, which I'm probably going to butcher. It's something like the best way to make yourself rich is to make someone else rich. And I think that's kind of how you have to approach this partnership system is like, what's the best way I can provide value? What's the best way I can make this, this other person, this other company rich? Because if I can do that, it's going to reflect back positively on us and we're going to make money as well. So understand that if you can put someone's needs ahead of your own, it's probably going to reflect back positively on you. Jen, top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners on establishing a partner sales ecosystem. Yeah, I would say one takeaway is, you know, to 
be clear about what what the agreement, the partnership agreement is upfront. And to think about every meeting or encounter as a possible partnership or collaboration in business life and personal life. In there's always a way to support someone and what they're doing. And the more we do that, I think the more support that comes back. And maybe that's to your point, but really, really take an interest in other people's companies because you just never know what's in there. And sometimes it's not obvious, but there's usually a way to work together. My final question, which is how we end every episode on this show, fill in the blank, Jen. Entrepreneurship is blank. Crazy creative. Why do you say crazy creative? It's it's not it's it's creative. I think part of being an entrepreneur is thinking of things in a new way and creating something that's never been created before, allowing mess ups, allowing things to be rebalanced, reorganized, and constantly, you know, letting things emerge. And I think that's crazy creative because it's, 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 there's no, there's no like set path. It's sometimes it feels chaotic, which feels crazy. And I think that's really exciting. Entrepreneurship is crazy creative. She is Jen Dye, co-founder and COO of The Peak Beyond. And you have been listening to Startup Hype Man, the podcast. This is the final episode of season 17. We will be back at you again in a short while with the launch of season 18. So thank you for listening to this entire season. And thank you for listening to Jen today. Jen, thank you once again for being here on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. That does it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and leave a rating and review in your podcast app or do us one better. Hit the share button. Send this episode to one friend who you think needs to hear it. While you're on your way out, don't forget to follow Startup Hype Man on Instagram and LinkedIn at Startup Hype Man. And remember, you can also connect with today's guest as well. They left their contact info. They love hearing if what they shared helped you in any way. StartupHypeMan.com is the place to catch the full 17-season archive and learn all about how to pitch your startup. We'll see you next week, but until then, stay hyped. Raj Nation out.